This yeah. would not work for a no. Caesar. I don't know why you'd need a spoon for a Caesar, but... Yeah. You know, like, why do they even put straws in Caesar? Like, isn't the rim there for a reason? So you like rim jobs. That's it. That's all I got. I sat down with Ryan Kerr Easter Sunday to have a conversation, and that is all of the audio that I actually have from that conversation. It's a really sad fact, but... Luckily, Ryan was able to sit down with me again, and the following podcast is a compilation of some of the content that we talked about that night. I hope you enjoy it. Okay. So, this is... (laughs) uh, I just... Spit it out. I have to admit that I made a mistake. Mm Mm-hmm. And so... We all know. I, well, nobody knows yet. <laughs> About to find out. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, yeah, my name is Michaela, and you're listening to Art, Activism, and Adventure. And right now I'm sitting with Ryan Kerr. Um, again. <laughs> God. Okay, so... About a week ago? Exactly. Exactly a week ago. It was Sunday night. Ryan and I were sitting together in this exact place with different drinks. Better drinks. Better drinks, but having a conversation. And then Monday I went to edit the file and I lost it. Uh, I lost the file. I lost the file. That's what she says anyway. I did. And I messaged you right away and I just, sad face. I just, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Anyway, but you're gracious enough to talk to me again. Well, you know, (laughs) I'm a pretty amazing and humble human. So Absolutely. I'm the, I'm the most humble person you'll ever meet. Okay. Fun fact. I like that. <laughs> Did you mention that we're drinking blueberry uh, pancake oh, Craig. liqueur? I, just, I said we had Is better drink. Is it even drink. called liqueur? Liquor. <laughs> I don't think there's a U. There's no need there's for it. No liquor. U. Anyways, it's disgusting, and it's mixed with lemonade and snow <laughs> because I don't have any ice and also I refuse to put that in, in glass in real glass so it's, a, it's plastic. in plastic wear anyway so I take no responsibility for anything that I say as a result of this blueberry poison pancake Fair. poison I'm gonna turn my sound off oh it is off already kick <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so yeah so we're gonna talk again but I don't know what the hell we're gonna say because like we can't we covered it we yeah we said a lot of stuff and uh, I think there are some things that I, I need to repeat just so that people are caught up a little bit Sure. So, I guess your bio is those kinds of things. So, I haven't read this since last week, so just cut me a break, okay? Okay. Do you want to... Do you want to see how much I remember? (laughs) I can read my own bio. No, don't read your own bio. Okay. So, I remember that you originally grew up on a... On a communal organic farm, That's and right. in Toronto, so you bounced back and forth between two different places. I did. Two worlds, as it were. I remember that you wrote... The book that we talked about on growing up in university when you were at U of T and you were studying away, yeah, and it was a school project, and that it became a out of school publication. Yeah, it did. Yeah, and it's on the story of you coming out. Yeah, huh? Great. Um, ten points. Ten points. <laughs> and then I remember obviously that you have a videography company called Miami Out Industries, and this podcast did not go out in time to advertise for your pop-up shop, but I totally went and bought a tank, and it was super great. Because I also make clothes. Because you also make clothes connected to your videography company, and you still have some that I'm sure people can buy if they wanted to. Yeah, until the end of April. And they're super comfy. What happens in April? Uh, Well, I'll be sold out. Oh, okay. Oh, good. That'll have to happen. Great. I like that. Yeah. 
And, um, of course, that you work for the Ontario HIV Treatment Network. Mm -hmm. And so that was a lot of the stuff that we talked about. We talked about your book. Mm-hmm. And kind of, like, the way that you came about making it and all of its influence. This is all information that no one will ever hear. And then we spent <laughs> a lot of time also talking about <laughs> the stigma around HIV. Mm-hmm. And the huge amount of lack of knowledge and the fact that we were talking about like personal activism and how people have to, or, or it would be really great to live in a world where people are responsible for their own actions mm-hmm. and that they take risk, but that they're aware of the risk that they're taking and aware of the consequences and... And motivations. Yeah. Yeah. And, and going into those risks with awareness and, and feeling responsible for everything. And not blaming everyone else. Right. For how they got there. Right. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, it was really nice chatting yeah. with you. Oh, oh and my dog is home. That's Rachel. Yeah, my dog is home now. Okay, cool. Rachel was here last time as well. But she, she'll be here again. She was super so chill. She's... Okay, sorry. <laughs> hi. <laughs> Rachel this is, is a, a key off thing. Off to a roaring start. Yes, yeah. my doggy Rachel. She's, she's a key thing that I didn't mention before, so that's important. She's a special lady, and she has definitely changed my life in a humongous way, and continues to do so. How so? Well, people always say getting a dog is a big responsibility. And then dog lovers say she'll make your she'll she'll save your life. Or a dog will save their your life. But um they were right. I mean she's uh she so I was a freelancer when I got her, mm-hmm. which is fancy for stressed about income all the time. Right. I and, I know that life. Yeah, so what's cool about it is that you think there's this illusion of freedom that you can do whatever you want, anytime you want. But your fear of not having enough money makes you the biggest slave ever. Right. So, you know, if I didn't have any work planned, mm-hmm. that's when I was, like, going through insane anxiety about not being able to pay my rent and dying. Instead of, like, oh, well, I guess I'll go to Europe and travel mm-hmm. around and find myself. None of that ever happened. Right. So... It wasn't until I got a full-time job, which, according to my freelance friends, was selling out. Of course. That I started to have a vacation time. Uh-huh. And also, I could leave work and not have to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was... So, Rachel was the first step of me actually establishing a reliable, predictable routine. Okay. Which I rebelled against because part of the joys of being a freelancer is I can sleep in until 11 in the morning and I only have to work until 1 a.m. every night, which is actually not that great. <laughs> um, or I can be up early tomorrow if I want and never choose to and whatever. Um, but dogs, unlike cats, dogs require a lot of consistency. Mm-hmm. And I think when you provide, um, I think in order, to, especially when you get a dog as a puppy, you really, if you want them to be happy and you want yourself to be happy, you have to, you have to like, go with them on their journey for at least the first six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is insane. Mm-hmm. It's a baby. It's like a baby. It's like a baby, although I've never raised a baby, but no. I do feel like I'm closer to understanding what that would be like than right. I was with a cat or a house plant. Or fish. Yeah, all my fish died. Right. In fact, I had an amazing, beautiful tank that was shaped like a clover leaf, and the fish killed themselves because they didn't want to be in that tank, so they, like, jumped out of the top. They'd rather die than live with me. So fish and me, it's fine. <laughs> Although I had fish for dinner they tonight. They beta. Are you... F- so... 
Maybe they knew <laughs> that all along I was eating them anyway. Okay. Not worth it. So Rachel um, came into my life sort of by accident. Did I tell mm. you that? She no. She was like, she's the closest thing to an unplanned pregnancy that a gay man could ever have. You said you adopted her from... I adopted her from the Bahamas. Abroad, yeah. Uh, I was going to my best friend's sister's wedding. Okay, right. And she was getting married in the Bahamas because she met her fiancé there. Mm. And uh, she's from Canada, but she met him there. And so um, I posted on Facebook something like, what do you wear to a wedding in the Bahamas? And I got a whole bunch of useless comments as usual. And then I got a private message from my friend Jeannie who said, if you're going to the Bahamas, I have some friends there who rescue dogs and would you agree to chaperone a puppy from the Bahamas to Toronto? Won't cost you anything. You just, you know, they'll meet you at the airport, give you a dog, and they'll give you the money that it would cost for you to upgrade your seat so that you can have a carry-on puppy, which I didn't know was a thing, but it is. And then someone will make, like, wait for you at the airport in Toronto. And I said, that sounds great. And then I got to the airport in Toronto with this brown, fuzzy mass in a duffel bag, and I went to give it to... <laughs> The family that was waiting, mm -hmm. and to be clear, they weren't waiting to adopt her. They were just going to hold her until they found someone to adopt okay. her in Canada. Um, and I, like, could my arms buckled, and I couldn't. It was this weird moment, and suddenly I was bargaining with God. I was like, please don't make me have a dog. I don't even know what dogs are. I hate dogs. Because I grew up with cats and, like, never had any interaction with dogs. And I've, I, like, heard this booming voice be like, you must keep this dog. I'm like, that's... Oh my god. Anyway, so I left the airport with a dog without having any, I had no dog food, I had no supplies, I had no idea what I was doing, and became a dog owner. But did that family not like just flip? Should no, they're like, we'll be back on Wednesday. It wasn't going to be their dog. They were right. just, they were going to, um. But there advertise. must have been some level of responsibility for them to like. Someone expected them to look after it. So, uh, so Jeannie, mm -hmm. who's my friend, she also met me at the airport. Oh, okay. And I was like, Jeannie, I feel like I should keep this dog. And she's like, do it, do it. <laughs> she's a bit of a shit disturber. And she basically had, like, puppy toys in her car. Okay. She was convinced that this was going to happen. I was the only one surprised. She knew. And then she convinced, you're welcome in advance. <laughs> I'm dilute for the record for the viewers at home, listeners at home. I'm diluting this pancake blueberry blueberry pancake liqueur uh, with some soda water so that it tastes less like awful. Or more, maybe you're just making more of the awful. I've ruined it. Yeah, by extending it. Anyway, no. so uh, Jeannie convinced them that I was indeed a responsible person, mm -hmm. and um, and then I took Rachel home. And, and uh, here she be. She's still alive. Four years later. There, you're responsible after all. Yeah. She's obviously very disappointed all the time because, <laughs> you know, she only has like a private dog walker five days a week and freaking a whole team of people that love her and look after her. It's a pretty hard life. And she sleeps in my bed with me, which is probably why I'm still single, but that's fine. <laughs> I don't need anyone. I just need a dog. Right? Yeah, no. Yeah. But sometimes I think about that. Sometimes it Do seems like a, a good idea. No, but I definitely, I was telling actually someone about this earlier tonight because we were hanging out at their house and there was a window and this puppy obviously had to pee every hour. And so this puppy, we kept seeing this tiny little oh, uh, husky puppy. Oh my God. And I get this deep desire to own a dog like once or twice a year. And it's like the last thing I need my mother's permission for. So I'll message her, I'll call her and I'll be like, 
I, I see I have one online that I can adopt. I just need to call them. Like, can I adopt a dog mom? And she'll be like, no. Do you live with your mom? No. Well, you don't need her permission. I know. But it's just like in my head, it's like the last thing. I'm like, I just need your support on this. I had no support. My, from my parents. My, my, <laughs> I, so what I did, you know, you know those people that you have your yes or no friends? Mm. And so you're like, okay, well, if I want a yes on this topic, right. I'm going to call. And if I haven't, you know, so I called all my yes friends. I didn't call my best friend. I was like, eh. who, I mean, he's, he'll probably say yes. <laughs> Falani would be like, what the f are you doing? You're crazy. So I called one friend who has been, who at the time was so puppy crazy, it was all she could talk about. And she's right. like, yes, 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 puppy, puppy. Then I called my other friend who had been talking like the week earlier about how having a puppy would just like, it's that next step of adulthood. And, you know, mm -hmm. then you're really ready for a relationship if you can commit to a, you know. Right. So they both were at my house before I got home from the airport. And they, like, met Rachel the second she came out of her little duffel bag with windows. Yeah. Oh, it was cute. <laughs> and then I called my best friend, and he's like, you did what? <laughs> and I called my mom, and she's like, my mom was, was actually in the hospital at the time. Oh, good. She was undergoing cancer treatment, right. and it was, like, this very intense, very long process. And one of her first comments was, what if... What if I'm allergic and you come to visit me in the hospital? You know I have a weakened immune system. And I was like, well, I'd probably be like all the nurses or doctors who have animals and come in. Like, you can't not, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't know, like, I guess. And she's like, well. And then a couple, I don't know how long it took. It wasn't that long. I got a card in my in my mailbox that said, welcome granddaughter mm. from my mom mm. saying, we, you know, so excited to get to know you, Rachel. Right. So that was like Clever. kind of heart melting. Yeah, yeah. And three days after I got Rachel, I saw my dad and my stepmother who live out of town. And I was also in a play. Mm. And so the play was opening. It was for the Fringe Festival. It's called Gay Nerds. Because I'm in a web series called Gay Nerds, too. I didn't mention oh, that Oh, cool. Time. You did not mention that at all. So, I mean, we only talked for like two and a half hours. So, <laughs> come on. Like... <laughs> What are you expecting from me? Right. And uh, I told my dad and stepmother as we were having a drink before my show. Mm. And my stepmother was like, really? Someone like you having a dog? And I just thought, whoa, like what are, what do these people think of me? But I have to say the way that I, um, the way that I positioned my freelancing mm -hmm. was that I could do whatever I wanted at any time. And that, of course, wasn't true, but when I felt very sensitive about not having a full-time hustle, so even though it's not really what I wanted anyway, but I would kind of qualify by being like, yeah, well, here's all the reasons why it's great. Like not having to do work sometimes and then working a lot other times and, you know, I set my own schedule. And so I realized that I'd really painted a picture of myself as being this person who, you know, was kind of in and out of responsibility. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I was like, yes, I can have a dog. I can do anything. Yeah. And then um, I met this guy, a neighbor named Hank, hmm. who like lived right around the corner. And he, he was working. He was also a freelancer, but he freelanced in different times. And he, um, he and I shared Rachel for the first three months. We're like, if I couldn't be home, you, you can't leave a puppy for more than four hours yeah. without pee breaks. 
Um, because they're left, they've got tiny little bladders. So, um, if I couldn't be home within four hours, he'd come, I gave him a key to my apartment, he'd come over and take her. Right on. So, uh, Handy Hank. So, uh, Rachel loves Hank, and he, she definitely likes Hank more than me. Because <laughs> there's no, she's never disciplined, she never gets in trouble with Hank. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he's like fun house time. Right. And I'm, you know, not exactly a disciplinarian, but I'm certainly. There are a couple rules that I'm pretty strict about. Right. Like no reading in bed. <laughs> you know? It's late, I'm trying to sleep. For it. Turn off the light and go to sleep. Yeah. You know? That sort of stuff. Respect. Basic respect. Yeah, right? Should we just slam these? <laughs> so I was so I was shooting a video today <laughs> that was all about uh, sex and hepatitis C transmission. Right. And slamming also means inject. Oh. And so that's where I went to first, which made me laugh because I thought then I wouldn't have to taste it. <laughs> but cheers, let's do it. Okay, okay. here we go. It's really terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that's gross. Will this be sense? Like, will child audiences be able to listen to this now that I've burped? I mean, I feel like I've just ruined them. We'll just palate cleanser. <laughs> you know, a freelancer, I always I always thought that was like a good word for just like, well, I'm not working on anything right now. So when people are like, oh, so you do this, like, like, do you have a show or do you have a shoot or do you have a thing? I'd be like, well, I'm in between. Yeah. I mean, it was the answering the freelance job was always time consuming because you had to dig for you had to dig for your own personal validation of like, well, <laughs> I may not be earning money in like the typical sense, but karmically, I, there are wheels that they're made of diamonds and they turn, they're just, they're in Tweed, Ontario right now. So they're like a bit of a commute, but they're getting closer. I can feel Tweed. them. <laughs> they're nowhere nearby and they're not making anything that you might consider tangible, but really it won't be long. And then you're like reading all the horoscopes. You're like, oh, here's another one I haven't read for today. Oh, it says things are going to work out. Yeah. I mean, there's also people that say they're finding themselves. Mm -hmm. That's also another. I think freelancing is a real thing, but finding yourself or taking time. Mm -hmm. I'm just taking some time right now. Mm -hmm. That means unemployed. Yeah. That's what it means. For sure. And we don't have to be so concerned about being employed all the time. Like we work in a, like we're, we're in this weird machine where we judge ourselves based on what we can produce and not who we are. Yeah. But we also, if you live in Toronto, you live in like one of the most expensive cities in Canada. So like you can't find yourself all the time. Yeah. So to be here. fair about that, like I don't know a lot of people who just freelance and then are like on EI the rest of the time. Like most people, like I like freelance, but it, <laughs> I sound like a sheep. Freelance. freelance. <laughs> but I work full time. As you know? well. Yeah. And then my freelancing is like me creating art by myself. So it's like. That's great. Right? But, and like I'm totally okay with that. But it's not. Like I don't know if there are any gigs to be had out there for me to like find. Which it depends on like what art, art form and all that jazz you probably. Well, I mean, you're. The a, way of going about it. You're a podcast artist. Well, I, why? This is just for shits. Like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know some, so to, to defend like my artsy friends, I know some people that just would not, they just wouldn't be able to do the same job or work in the same company 
at set hours that just would not wouldn't work for them. They would explode and die, and they work very hard and are very motivated. Right. I think the illusion, if you're a freelancer, the illusion is that you are therefore because you set your own hours or you choose your own individual jobs that you are more free. Oh yeah. You're but just lancing. That's all you're doing. You're lancing yourself. <laughs> you're lancing others. It's like lancing a boil. You know, it doesn't. It's not pretty. <laughs> And it's painful. <laughs> okay, you know what? I didn't know what Lansing and Boyle was until last week when I started reading this Western. What a great cover. Yeah. And the he... Sisters Brothers. Yeah. Oh, I heard about this book. It's good? I'm only 50 pages in, but 50 pages in, I think it's good. And already, he's lanced a Boyle. <laughs> and I didn't know what even that, that even was until I started reading this book. And I was like, well, learn something from fiction. There you go. I like. I like your perspective, though, on the freelance comment just because... I think, well, like language, you use words the way that you want to. Mm -hmm. And so that, that definition, because it's just like, it's hard to talk to people about it sometimes or like what you do or, or that's the question they ask you what you do, but it's like, well, what are you at? Like, are you asking what I want to do, but I am not doing or what I'm trying to do or how I actually pay my bills and where that money come from? Like, and so it's just when you say like, oh, I... I'm a freelancer or I'm an independent artist or I'm a whatever, then it's kind of just like this blanket comment that That's like, kind of oh. meaningless. Yeah, and they, like people, really regular people who aren't freelancing at all, just like won't know what that really means, but mm -hmm. then I think they understand that there's like a general consensus that that means something and then they just don't touch it after that. <laughs> so it's a good way to just like shoo that conversation away. Well, it's weird because, I mean, I can hand you... So now I work in a now I work for the Ontario HIV Treatment Network, and my title on my business card is, uh, what does it say? Coordinator, comma, multimedia production. Do they print those for you? Yeah, they do. Oh, sweet. Oh, yeah. No, no. These are like when you work in an office, people print business cards for you. Mm. There is a water cooler. Right. Like that stuff is true. People ask you how you are, and they don't mean it. They also ask you what you did on the weekend, and they're not interested. Right. It's amazing. You Everything should. happens the way it should. Just right. like in the office, the original office with Ricky Gervais. Have yeah. you seen that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, like that, that is hauntingly accurate in so many wonderful ways. But I digress. Um, so what I found as a freelancer is that people would were looking for like validation. Mm -hmm. Like freelance what? Yeah. But if I handed someone my business card that says coordinator, comma, multimedia production, they'd be like, oh, yeah. Mm. No one's interested in, no one wants to necessarily delve in because they, oh, you didn't make up that title. That's a thing. Right. Somebody else made it up. Therefore, it's real. But you define, free, how, how do you define freelancing? Like, that's probably not real. And like, where does the money come from? When I lived in, I lived in France for six months when mm -hmm. I was in university. Right. And uh, it was... It was an amazing place to, I mean, study and all these things. France is, I love France. It's a really cool place, which is why we're listening to Le Petit Prince, the yeah, soundtrack. Yeah, we are. Which was written by uh, Antoine Saint-Exupéry, which is a Lyonnais person, and I lived in Lyon. Oh, cool. Tie in, tie in. <laughs> anyway, in French, um, at least French in France, people don't ask, what do you do? Mm-hmm. They ask, what do you do with your life? Qu'est-ce oh. que vous faites? Uh, Qu'est-ce que vous faites avec votre vie? Or something like that. Qu'est-ce que tu fais avec ta vie? And I heard the question, and I translated it literally. 
And I was like, whoa, 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 guys. Like, there's a huge difference between what I do for money and what I do with my life. Mm -hmm. Like, you're asking me, like, a philosophical question here. And the answer is, like, so complicated. Right. So I started pushing back as soon as my French had improved enough. And people were, like, really frustrated because then I'd say, what do you do for money? And they thought that was really gauche. I was like, no, no, I don't care how much money you make. I just want to know... Because for me, there's a difference between yeah. the two. And it was it was kind of, it said a lot about how guarded I was about um, about my concept of work and, and how productive we are and how important that is. Right. Um, but it also said something, I think, about the French mentality that what you are doing, regardless of what you think you should be doing or whatever you hold to be true, what you are doing matters. So I could tell you that I'm an artist and I write books and I'm, but if I'm the coordinator, comma, multimedia production during the day, that's actually what I'm doing. Right. So there was, it was like a little bit of truth serum, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess everyone, it does kind of just work it the way that they want to, but it would be nice that we have that. I don't know. It'd be nice for, you all right? Yeah, no, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm just happy about that. Transition. Your palate is cleansed. Did you want any more? Oh, uh, hell no. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like a celebratory thing, you know? Um, I have like a suggestion for a next drink to use the lemonade. Oh, cool. Yeah, bring it on. Should I just mix something? And Let's then just, just mix drink something. I'll, okay. I'll drink my palate cleanser. <laughs> <laughs> Let's cleanse. Cleanse! Never been on a cleanse before. Um, well, there's a lot of... I mean, if we want to cover some of last week's conversation about stigma mm. um clean did we talk about clean last week there people describe their so people talk about diets as yeah. being like oh no no i, 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 I had some clean protein yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah and clean the, food the implication of course is that what you're eating is dirty of course what, what i'm eating is clean but in the in at least in the gay world when people are like looking for sexy times or, you know, they're at that place where they're negotiating. Mm -hmm. Oh, me? Yeah, I'm clean. Right. What about you? Right. And then there's this huge th thing that's like, oh, you mean you're HIV negative. Right. Okay, so I might cut this, but we'll see how it goes. But I've said that before. It was in response to someone. It was in response to someone who I had sex with. And then he messaged me and was like, hey, I just got tested and I have chlamydia. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, like, thank you for telling me. Mm -hmm. And he made it very clear that he was implying that I gave it to him. Oh. And even though he, like, admitted to having sex with someone after me. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a shock for me because I get tested super regularly. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm also, like fairly safe I would say and so it, that was a shock and um so I got tested again obviously and I like the test came back negative mm -hmm. and so like out of spite because I was just like offended I was offended that like I guess he he was taking responsibility in the in the way of like telling me mm -hmm. and of being honest about that and being, like, responsible in that way of, like, going back through his previous partners and, like, kind of finding out maybe where it came, like, you yeah. know, finding the root of it. Like, that so. was more considerate than some people are, for sure. Right. Yeah. But, um, 
Like, at the end of the day, kind of out of spite, I was like... I'm clean. I'm, like, just got tested, got the results back, and I'm clean. Like, just so you know, because... Yeah. I didn't appreciate the way that, like, you decided to go about that. Yeah, but it's shit. Yeah, but it's definitely not the, like, most accurate way for me to react to that situation either. So I was thinking about this on the way here, because it's, like, on the way home today, because it's this beautiful, snowy April night, and I, you know, it's dark, and I was crossing the, I was about to cross the street at the, um, <laughs> shaking up the, at the crosswalk. And when I got to the crosswalk, I always like, I, I try to be very conscientious about my crosswalk button pushing because I don't want it, if a car's getting close, I don't want to make them slam on their brakes. I do the same thing. But also I don't want to press the button and have them drive through because then I get really angry. Right. So I'm like, oh, let's space this out, you know? So, yeah. And I press the button and I realized that I'm so forgiving and conscientious about drivers in the crosswalk and that maybe this is like some sort of indication of how people are when they receive weird news. Right. That if we think about what are the impact of what we're about to say is on other people, we can time it better and we can give them the space and time to kind of like stop where they're going like change their train of thought and pay some attention to us. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about it in terms of like HIV disclosure, but the story that you're saying too, that here's this person, you know, he's like completely sidelining you out of the blue. Yeah. It's always like, I don't know how to say this, so I'm just going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> you gave me chlamydia, babe. <laughs> right? By the way, are you free on Saturday? Yeah. Um, I had, I had a similar experience where, where yeah, you're just like, First, you're kind of grateful because you're like, thank you for letting me know. That's really kind of you. And I've had people like tell me that, you know, oh, I think you have, I think I, I know that I have crabs, for example, crabs, ugh. Um, and that means that in all likelihood you do too, because mm -hmm. we've had sexy time without it being the, well, I don't know what's just happened, but, and I'm not pointing any fingers at you. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that you... Gave them to me. Mm, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And so I've had people like be really conscientious. But when someone is accusatory. Oh. Yeah, because I understand that they also cheers, are. Cheers, by the way. We'll see. Cheers. What... Cheers is much. Well, I mean, we'll see. But well, it's yeah, exactly. got to be better. Oh, that's boozy. It's good, though. It's not too sweet. No, it's. Well, the alcohol balances out. I'm a fan. It would have been better with ice or snow. <laughs> it's never too late. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been getting up a lot this interview. The last interview, I just stayed where I was. Yeah, we all, both almost peed ourselves. <laughs> so maybe, it was really serious. Maybe let's not do that again. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like, because I understand that they're trying to convey the importance to you, like, you know, if like you do get tested and you do test positive, you should also go back to your, like, your partner, like, you know, like, all that stuff is very important. But it's, I guess the assumption of that, that you're not going to, like, I don't know. It goes both ways. Like, you want to make sure that they do it. I, when you were telling me this story, I was immediately, I wanted to interject that you said, you said something like, you know, I am, I get tested regularly and I'm not particularly unsafe. And my immediate response was, 
Yes, but viruses don't care. No, absolutely not. Or bacteria or whatever. I think chlamydia is a bacteria. But it's one of those things that's like, we still, there's still a level of deserving. Mm-hmm. Like, that deep in, in what you're saying is embedded this thing that's like, but I did everything right, so yeah. I don't deserve this. And that, I think, is part of the problematic nature of sexy time. Absolutely. Especially, you know, when people look at consequences. And that extends beyond sexy time. But the consequences of, yeah, yeah, but I did everything right. Like, I should get this job. I should get more money. I should. And it's, it's, not, it's not just entitlement. It's not about feeling like we deserve, you know, to take up this much space or whatever in our daily lives. But... But the idea of there being um, kind of a logic about how bacteria and viruses go about things, I think we need to divorce some of that stuff. No, and also, like, in our last episode, in our last conversation, we talked, uh, in, at one point, I brought up luck, and I think that's why I said it. Like, at the end of the day, if we're judging somebody else for, because we were talking about stigma which we will dive into more and like judging people for their situation. And the questions are always like, well, how did you get it? So right. you can assess if it's like if they their deserved fault it or not. Or not right? right. And I think it's like at the end of the day, I was saying that, you know, all of us who are on that side of not having anything, but doing a lot of judging, like underneath it all, you have to realize that you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Like I understand the risks that I have taken mm-hmm. and I feel amazingly lucky Right. That I've, that I'm at the situation that I'm at with my sexual health. Right. And even like having sex as a young person and not being pregnant, like that condoms worked and that birth control worked. Like, because there are definitely times as a young person that I would judge people who have young, like teenage pregnancies. Mm-hmm. And just because you do, just because you think about it yourself and you're like, well, what would I do in that situation? And is that how I would react or like, do I have that kind of support or mm-hmm. that's going to change the rest of my life? Like all of these questions. And so at the end of the day, I've always just thought that I'm incredibly lucky that I never had to be in that position where I had to make hard decisions. I just was safe when I decided to be safe. And then when I was not safe, I knew the risk I was going into. And the fact that nothing has happened that has like given me consequences that affect the rest of my life, mm-hmm. I think is just like pure luck. I almost fell down the stairs twice today. Different stairs. But I was just like, wow, that could have really gone in a different direction. And it wasn't that I, you know, I wasn't texting or like not looking where I was going. Both times it was slippery for different reasons. And I just thought, wow, I am so lucky and thankful that I grabbed the handrail the way I did or that I shifted my weight in time or whatever because, man, mm-hmm. that would be a big tumble and then that could have changed my life. Totally. Um, but never once was I like, well, that's what you get for climbing the stairs. Or or saying something like, oh, but that's because I have really fast reflexes. Yeah. And like I, I you know, like because I, tr- or like I have something. Yeah, I, I went to the gym yesterday. And my I genetics really- are great. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I was born in the right part of the world, so everything's working out for me. Yeah, exactly. You know, that there's... It was just like, whew, awesome. I'm so glad I didn't fall. I'm really... <laughs> I Falling would have really been a bummer. Yeah. 
Um, and one of the places was at the House on Parliament, which was like one of my favorite next door restaurants. And I was like, in addition to injuring myself, I would have been humiliated because I know all the staff mm. and I know they would have all pointed and laughed at me. Mm, yeah. Like all these, it was like my life was flashing <laughs> before my eyes. No! Um, but yeah, so how is it that we have these extra in, intensity around our, you know, our like human nature, right? Like sex and desire, man, those are, those are pretty fundamental to our species. And yet we've wrapped a lot of layers of horrible around them mm-hmm. and made them as complicated as they can be. So, I mean, I wonder what it is that allows us to let go of certain things and really cling to others. I mean, religion is very helpful. Religion makes sure that we feel terrible about most of the things that we want. Um, and then, you know, is really too, like a dichotomous, is that the right word, in how it's dealt with, but there are some that are praised and some who are reviled for the same actions. Right. Um, so yeah, religion and, you know, cultural upbringing says that we shouldn't like the things that we like but man drinking that's great we should all drink all the time says the government and and here we are like for no reason we're drinking questionable cocktails (laughs) very questionable although i think what i've offered is less questionable yeah but it's still questionable boy you see that's the thing about taking risks though you know you never know the consequences but i i'm such a good person right? why must i drink blueberry pancake because flavor? i bring it to your house that's why <laughs> you ass. you know they made a series of these and the other flavors were whipped cream and glazed donut wow it top sellers could have been worse could it? <laughs> Have you seen the Instagram of blueberry donut or, chi- or blueberry muffin or chihuahua? No. Well, now you know what you're doing when you get home. <laughs> blueberry. Blueberry muffin, muffin or, or chihuahua. chihuahua. Like blueberry. Mu- I'm not really a chihuahua fan. Though. Don't worry. This is gonna. You're not this- really dogs, right? I don't think so. When I see like a group of chihuahuas scurrying around, I it terrifies me. Yeah. Because like those are. Big rats. They're, they are. That said, Chihuahua owners. I mean, I used to hate, hate, hate um, dogs because I didn't understand them. Right. And look at you. You're converted. I'm a convert. Right. Yeah. So I can't be mean to Chihuahuas specifically just because I don't have, you know, but. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely don't get the same kind of interaction with something that's that, that delicate or that relies on you that much for life in every way. I'm going to push back because I happen to know Chihuahua owners Mm -hmm. who would say different. Oh, so it's like pictures of Chihuahua's faces versus blueberry muffins. And it's confusing (laughs) which is which. I see. Those are well-designed blueberry muffins to compare to a Chihuahua's face, I think. Isn't that remarkable? That's so funny. That's so funny. (laughs) I had never... Thought of comparing a chihuahua's face to a blueberry muffin. Let's conversate about HIV stigma again. Because I feel like after our first conversation... You thought about it a lot. Yeah. And... Me too, actually. I think I was just, like, during the conversation, which is why I like to do this, is because we have conversations and it's 
it's more about thinking on the spot and like asking new questions and coming up with new like responses. And so some people, when I ask them to be on a podcast, are like, oh, like, I don't know what to say. And it's like, well, it's not about having something planned out. It's us talking and teaching one another things and then finding out like something. And then it's okay if you say something and then your thoughts tomorrow change. It's fine. But like, we're thinking on the spot. We're trying to develop like new ideas or explain what we think about things. And so I think when you were talking about it so much before, like I was just doing so much listening and that was so good <laughs> because I was just like t in taking all this information that I didn't understand. Like I hadn't been exposed to before. It's a, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, if it's not in your realm, like one of the things when I told my, when I came out to my dad as a gay person, it was hard for him at first, but then years later he said, I'm so glad you came out to me because it, that wasn't part of my, like my understanding. It wasn't gayness, wasn't part of my universe personally. Right. And at the time he was a high school, well, he's still a high school guidance counselor. And he said, you know, now I feel like I can support my students better because the ones who come to me and are dealing with their sexuality and they're not sure who they are. And I feel like I have a better understanding of some of the things that they're going through. And I just thank you so much for sharing. And that was a really cool moment. And it, it said a bunch of things, including we're on a need to know basis in this like busy world that we live in. And I'm only familiar with HIV because I work for an HIV research organization mm -hmm. and I'm also HIV positive myself. Mm -hmm. So this has been like a big learning curve that I would never have been on otherwise, mm -hmm. a huge learning curve ball because it was was like a really devastating blow to my self-esteem and my concept of who I was. And, um, and I didn't ever think that I'd recover or that I would be able to navigate feeling normal or lovable or any of those things. And part of, part of getting to a place, like I trying to unpack where those thoughts come from is how I've, I've started to navigate this crazy world. Mm -hmm. And that's where I've come to think about theories of why, like what it is that, that keeps people from taking their sexual experiences and partitioning them so that they're not part of their real life and they're not tied to real choices and real responsibilities and are therefore, you know, silly. Like sex is always... You know, it's always tied to some sort of frivolous mistake. Right. And I think if it was something frivolous, then it wouldn't be the core of all of our advertising, all of our body image stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like a pretty fundamental activity for humans. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this. So I was thinking that maybe, maybe, tossing it out there, like the reason that sometimes maybe it's segregated from your your who you are maybe on your day-to-day -day life and what you recognize is you is because of the connections that you make with people in like sexual spaces mm -hmm. so especially if it's like a one-time thing or a like non-emotional committal type situation I feel anyway that there's like a societal like no around that like when you if you don't you know like the best situation is to commit to someone emotionally and you guys are 
you know, responsible for, like, you know, one another's feelings, and, like, you support that person, they support you, and then you have whatever sex you want, and, like, everyone's, like, yay for you, you're great. And so as soon as you enter a space where it's, like, oh, we're only going to have this physical connection once, and, like, we might emote during it, like, you know, you might mm -hmm. feel some ways about it. Yeah. But it's not something that you might tell the other person, and you, like, you might feel uncomfortable walking around into your, like, emerging from that situation and taking it with you for the rest of your day. Because it's, like, the societal thing to be, like, well, that, like, well, what, did you hurt them? Like, who, like, is one of you feeling more than the other? Is this, was it mutual? What's wrong? Why isn't this continuing? Like, yeah. Like, oh, it's just this, questions. it's just this urge that I had, right. and they had it too, so we just decided to urge out all over each other. <laughs> And it's like, oh, you're un, you're uncontrollable and you're wild and you're, and it's just like, well, like I, and so there's that level of like, there's a societal thing. This is totally just like a theory that you can kibosh. But I think there's like this, I feel like there's this societal thing, but then there's also like just that personal honesty of understanding why you're doing what you're doing and being okay with it. Well, then I think the cultural narrative says you have sex to make a baby and I mean, I think women feel insane pressures to have babies because they are the baby makers. Um, yeah. I know so many ladies who feel this like tremendous uh, discomfort as they like tiptoe toward, you know, not being able to make babies anymore. And it's, you know, they have to define that they're single and that they're not interested or that they're in a couple, but they don't want to have kids. They mm -hmm. have to, they, they're constantly pushing back because the narrative says you get married and you have kids and you live in the, you know, you live in a fantastic suburban home. And actually when I do workshops around my, um, my book, which is my coming out story on growing up a guide, mm -hmm. um, one of the exercises I do is like I, I have a, a PowerPoint that I call confronting normal and I talk about, you know, what's normal and I ask people to kind of brainstorm and I ask them to tell me what a house looks like, what the typical house looks like. And we draw it together like on the chalkboard and it's a detached house with a chimney. There's smoke coming out of it. There is a big tree in the front yard and hanging from the tree is a Swing or a tire swing? Tire swing. Yeah. A tire swing. How did you know that? Yeah. A tire swing. I don't know anyone, anyone. <laughs> who has a tire swing. Yeah, no. There's a car. Like a fictional... Fictional thing. thing. Now, yeah. to be fair, on the communal farm where I grew up, we had a tire swing. <laughs> we, but we Guilty. also had cows, pigs, chickens. We had right. peacocks. We had, like, 45 adults eating together three meals a day. I mean, it was very strange. Right. But for for kids in both downtown urban centers and, you know, in York Region to all draw the same house, we have some mad programming about what we're supposed to do with our lives. And when gay marriage became legal, you know, there was a lot of pushback from the gay community that's like, but being, hello, hi, uh, what's real, one of the cool things about being gay is that we don't have to justify not being part of this narrative anymore. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I've how, talked to people about that as well. Yeah, like how awesome is this that I don't have to get married, have a kid, move mm -hmm. the country, like have a big party, you know, spend a bajillion dollars on a mortgage uh, and paint my fence, you mm -hmm. know, my white picket fence. And so, you know, when I was, gay marriage came out when I was, 
became out uh, became a thing when I was younger, and I remember not understanding what the fuss was about. I mean, I thought it was great for equality. I didn't understand the pushback. And now that I'm 33 and I'm single, I feel this, and I have a full-time job, and I have a dog, I feel like, well, I can, I know what I'm missing. I'm missing the tire swing. Mm. Like, I'm, I'm part of the collective that says what I'm supposed to be, and I'm not it. So I'm, I'm subscribing in one way to the pressure that says that we have to earn money and we have to do that job all the time. But I'm not actively choosing um, to do something else. I'm just not the thing that everybody else around me is. Right. And so I feel it. And yeah. it burns. You know, I have some friends who are older who are like, I can do whatever I want. They legitimately feel that way. And I'm starting to feel roped in because a lot of my friends my own age are freaking, they're adopting kids. Yeah. Or they're getting... Getting with lesbian couples and they're, you know, making like families of four where there's two women and two men and they're making babies together and it's adorable and wonderful, but I can't help but feel jealous, even though it's not something that I personally hunger for in my life. Yeah. Wait till you have three wedding invitations coming to you in the same week from all your friends and, uh... And you start, you know, like I've been asked to help plan the bachelor party for mm -hmm. one of my friends. Okay. And man, I have some great ideas. So you just come to me <laughs> when you have an, like. I'm so, like, I'm pretty young still. So like, I, I know these things are like on their way. But just let not me know. Right here yet. When you decide to fulfill your path, which is to get married, have kids. Right. And move into a detached suburban Will house. you shake me out of it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut down the tire swing and I'll burn. Did you know tires are flammable? I did. <laughs> it's gone. But, um, you know, you, you just see people and, you know, this is, this is like sort of a morbid, um, comparison, but it is in, in families of like survivors of like substance abuse, mm. the one, the family member that tries to, to break the chain of substance abuse is often pressured by the rest of the family mm -hmm. to keep going, even though it's like a terribly negative, destructive pattern, because it is harder to push against and make a change than it is to keep going. Right. And so that's kind of where, you know, like, I, I don't think that these people that have invited me to their weddings are necessarily giving up on life. Yeah. But it certainly is easier than being like, you know what? I'm not going to go that route. And then there's, then you start to think about, well, they're doing it. So it, they must find some benefit in it. It must be really great. And that's honestly the thing that happens when people ask like, Oh, do you want kids? Cause that's a question yeah. I hear all the time. Yeah. And my answer is always no, because I don't want them like tomorrow. And I feel like I can only answer for myself right now. Well, that's a great answer, but it's also a really invasive question. But it's so common at the same time. I, I understand for women it's very common. Right. Uh, for me, <laughs> yeah. I only hear if I want to have kids if someone is trying to figure out how a gay person is. Like when they're mm. like, oh, so it's very clear to me that you're homosexual. Like I could tell from a million miles away. That's fine. So uh, based on who I am, do you do we have anything in common? Like do you want kids? Mm. And that's my opportunity to be like... Do you have the same desire as... Yeah, like, like do you feel something? a responsibility to, you know, like, populate our world, you know, overpopulate it? And then I... <laughs> and then 
it depends on what vibe I'm getting from them. My answer, how you respond, because sure. I can say, <laughs> I can say, ugh, no, right, or I can say, well, you know, if I were with somebody who was really into it, I, I mean, you never know. Yeah, things change. But as of right now, I have a dog, and she's way more money than I can afford right now. She's the most expensive electric blanket. Right, right, for sure. So I feel like there are a few people in this world where having kids is what they want to do. When you say, what do you want to do with your life? Mm. Having kids is that thing. But I feel like those people are very few. I feel like it's not every mom and dad out there or Mm -hmm. any couple out there, any like classic family model or what we're supposed to do in our life. It's these people who are like partner, no partner. I I want, want kids. To be I want to be a, a I want to be a baby mom. Yeah. yeah. And that's like and I think that's a thing. And I think but it's just like a passion almost. Like it's like those people yeah. that it's like instead of liking art, I like being a parent. Yeah. And um so when people ask me that question, that's also what comes to mind. And for me that's not specific on like if you're straight or if you're gay or if you're a man or if you're a woman, no. because it's just you as an individual, you're like, I know I want this. Like this is something I want to do. And if I find someone or if I don't, I'll adopt, I'll do it on my own. I'll make it work. The sacrifice is worth it. This is an experience I want to have. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a lot of people, I think it's like the other way. It's like, if I have a supportive partner and like we cultivate a certain relationship together mm-hmm. and this is a responsibility and like an adventure and a, and a part of our lives that we want to invest in together to like create a family, then we will. I just think women are asked a lot more than men. Like, especially young women, Mm -hmm. like young men, there would be, I think if a young guy was like, man, I can't wait to be a dad. People would be like, oh, you're too young to think about these things. Have your fun. Right. And with women, I feel like there's this incredible, like, so have you been playing? Like, who's going to be the lucky guy that helps you do that thing you're supposed to do? Right. And I think the pressure is greater. There are lots of things that I do not miss as a man in terms of like huge pressure. I mean, we have some pressures like being manly. is a big pressure. I feel that every day and I'm certainly not manly enough. On Friday, I was getting on the streetcar and I was behind some school kids and I wear a backpack, even though I'm supposed to be a grown man. And the driver was like, step right up, young lady. We're trying to close the doors here. <laughs> and I have been attempting to grow facial hair. Like we're I on think week. It looks great. We're on week four though. Okay. So like we're really. It's a month long. This is an effort. <laughs> um, oh wait, no, this is two because I had a little bit of beard trimming accident. Not that I have any beard to trim, but I, and people look at me and they're like, Ryan, I love the facial hair that you're doing. No one has uttered the word beard. Like that isn't. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, even with this like scraggle on mm. my face. Being five nine, five ten, and wearing like gendered clothing that is supposed to, I was still, I still give off lady energy. But I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite way too. Like I remember I was sitting in a in a lecture hall and I had shortish hair with a flat brim on backwards, and I'm sitting, so you know your body's like mm-hmm. less visible. And someone, some guy walked in behind me and he was like, "Hey, dude, what class is this?" And I like took off my headphones like I didn't hear him and turned around and he saw my face and then he was like oh uh what class is this (laughs) yeah but so we're talking yeah I I mean that sounds really awful and how awful to be misgendered but this man was looking at my Mm. bearded my Mm. like attempted bearded face 
I was wearing man clothes. Yeah. You were also wearing man clothes. I was. And from behind, I win. You win. My life I is harder than yours. <laughs> I, I The oppression Olympics has begun, and I just took a gold medal. You did. Yeah, for misgendering, which as an aside is like really not that, I mean, it's kind of a compliment to be compared to the superior sex, but. Oh, shit. Well, that's kind of a compliment. Yeah, you know. Just like Trudeau, I'm a feminist. Right. So I've never, I've never like publicly said that I'm HIV positive. Okay. So like, ta-da. Oh, there you go. So this is like another coming out. Yeah. So my one man show, uh, which I did with Tracy Aaron Smith in the solo theater, trying to plug everybody. Um, I wrote a play about my coming to terms, sort of, Mm -hmm. with my... Uh, HIV status and so I said that to a room of strangers mm-hmm. but you and know a bunch of friends who went out to support you I only invited like a very small amount of friends because mm-hmm. I was really nervous about doing this show and I wasn't even sure if I wanted to perform but that's a whole other issue and then um, and that felt good but terrifying yeah but I haven't actually like said it on the internet right so. well luckily like no My mom listens to, listens to this podcast, so... And that's it. Yeah. Mm. Don't underestimate your mom. She has power. My mom is actually, like, the bomb. super in on it. She's She's got it. And yeah, she also... My mom has, like, quadruple the amount of Twitter followers that I have, so... Wow. So she has four. She calls it... Right? She calls it her professional learning network, and she makes, like, real connections that... She gets, like, jobs over. Your mom sounds great. She's super great. Does she live in Toronto? No. She lives on Manitoulin Island. We talked which is about why this. she needs Twitter, because there's nobody there's there. There's nobody there. Yeah. And I spent a weekend at the Manitoulin Conference Center, and I had the amazing um, ice cream. It's a good place. Stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Then. So, well, I recently the- had a interaction with someone who was, like, talking about this guy that he had slept with once, and he was thinking about sleeping with again, but he was, like, they were not committed, so it was very open, and his phrase was, like, I just don't want to, like, what was He said, I don't want to catch AIDS. And it was after we had had our conversation, and so he said it, and I was just like... What did you say? (laughs) He just continued talking. He was like... I just, like, I was really stunned. I was like, I don't want to catch AIDS. And I just wanted to be like, it's not AIDS, and that's not how it happens. Like, but then he was like, you know, he can go, like, give blowjobs to other guys, but, like, I don't think he can be, like, sleeping around. I was like, and then I immediately was like, well, you know, you can get, like, STIs through blowjobs as well. And he was like, oh, well, frick, and just, like, moved on to something else. But it (laughs) stuck with me so much that... It was this gay person, but he, he's a young person, and it was just, like, that misinformation that people don't even know. I, so I arranged, I was, like, quite a, I mean, I'm quite a phone addict in general, but I don't have Grinder right now because I spend far too much time on it. Um, and I arranged, this was years ago, to have a Grinder hookup with this guy, and we arranged that I was going to give him a BJ mm-hmm. and that that was it. And so I didn't disclose because that's not a risk for HIV. So I was just like, and I mean, I work for an HIV research organization. Yeah. So I'm sort of an armchair specialist. I'm definitely not certified, but my goodness, the information that I come across and that I work with on a daily basis is, 
is like the information. And then this information that I learn about is then passed on to public health and they deal with it in their own way. And so sometimes it's like playing broken telephone where what the public hears is very different from what the research states. So I know more than lots of people that I know. And so I'm, I'm a bit of a, I can be like a bit of a 411 person that right. people will call. Okay, so say in this situation, if I like could close my mouth and actually verbalize everything that was going through my head, how could I talk to him about the like risks of HIV or how to how to I go would, about? I would just be like, whoa, 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 buddy, buddy, buddy. This is you know, it, it sounds like you have a lot of thinking to do about what kind of relationship you want to have. It's also before your second date, mm. but I gotta stop you at the AIDS thing. Because not only is that really dated language, but what you're really talking about is negotiating trust and safety with a new person. And that, that takes a lot of commitment. And it, if you're looking for something that's not committed, that's not going to work. That's what I would say. Because if he was actually interested in talking to you instead of just like saying inflammatory things, mm -hmm. I say AIDS all the time because I like, <laughs> I like being inflammatory and see people be like... <gasps> right. um, and then I kind of qualify that, well, you know, what I'm, I'm trying to say that because I like being, you know, a little crazy and, and I like seeing people's reactions to it because I think we need to destigmatize and part of destigmatizing can be hitting people over the head, you know, with it. But if your friend is actually interested in engaging with you on a real level, then that's awesome. And that's when you can say, you know what, I had this really mind-blowing conversation. I'm going to pat myself on the back and say that it was mind-blowing, but you can <laughs> call it whatever you want and say, I was, I, was I was speaking with someone recently and, you know, I, I gained a new perspective. Mm -hmm. And so some of the things that I learned are dot, 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 dot. And what I would just say is like, um, you know, having sex with anybody is really wonderful and that's why we do it. Um, but, but blaming somebody or, or tagging like somebody's actions on how things affect you is problematic for lots and lots of reasons. And you need to just be aware that anytime you're in a sexual situation, you're bringing your whole self into it and you're bringing, you're putting yourself in a position of risk. Mm -hmm. And presumably you're making these risks because you want to enrich your own life. Mm -hmm. And so if this person is someone that you want to continue having sex with because you want to increase your intimacy or connection, then that sounds worth it to me. Yeah. But when you yell things like AIDS, you don't know who's listening and you don't know how you're making them feel. So I would just write off the get-go, I would be like, you know, if you actually want to talk to me about it personally, um, I'm sensitive to using that kind of language because, um, because I know people who would feel completely crushed and silenced by that kind of statement. Yeah, absolutely. It's tough. I mean, what I was going to say was like years ago, I had arranged to give this guy a BJ and I was all excited about it. And it was one of those like late nights on a Sunday where I thought I should really be going to bed because tomorrow's going to be a long day. But, you know, my libido says otherwise. So I rode my bike over to his place and it wasn't very far. And I like opened his apartment and he was like all excited already. And so apparently I did a very nice job because he didn't want to stop there. He wanted to do some more things. And so he reached into his drawer, his bedside table, and he pulled out lube and no condom. 
And so I was like, oh, so you want to have some unprotected sex with me right now? I, was, I put my hand on his chest and I had this very like public service announcement moment where I was like, if you want to have unprotected sex with me, that is super hot and it really turns me on. But you need to know that I'm HIV positive. So if that's something you want to go through with, knowing that information, then we're both super clear. And the first thing he said after that was, but we kissed already. And I was like, huh? Oh my God. <laughs> and he was like 26, 27. And I'm like, we, yeah, we kissed. And he's like, that's not how you, that's, that's not how you, that's what? And so obviously things did not continue after that moment. Mm -hmm. It was time to go. And he, he texted me the next morning, which was about four hours later and said, I woke up with an infection and you've given it to me. I have chlamydia or something, whatever. I'm sure he was Googling some sort of diagnosis. And then I went to the doctor and I was tested and I was negative. And so I was able to text him later and say, by the way, but he never spoke to me again. We have mutual friends. I've seen him out and about. He won't even look at me like, so, you know, that there's kind of this thing that you're marked, right? That just makes me so upset in so many ways. <laughs> this is going to continue this. Song. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's because you were like, you were honest and you were open and you were willing to share and you, you have so much information and he's interested in you in this way that is like, I think pretty special. Like, I don't think you just have sexual connections with anyone. Like when you, your sexual energy matches up with somebody else, like that doesn't happen just like with any dude that walks down the street. So like, and like, how, how does it come off that you're just so important that, that the other person now is invisible. So I've been going through, so I'm moving eventually and I've been purging and thinking like, okay, what stuff do I, what stuff is worth carrying with me? And one of the things I've been doing, which is very weird is going through my phone contacts and erasing them. Oh. If it's someone that I haven't had contact with in a long time, or I don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. Like I got a text from a phone number called Guelph. I'm like, well, this person <laughs> must be from Guelph. <laughs> Hi, Guelph. Maybe Hi. it's the entire city just texting you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I was looking through my phone today because I often do it when I'm commuting and I'm just sitting and doing nothing. And uh, I came across a phone number for Patrick Herpes. <laughs> so this man, um, I think you think you know where this story is going, but you're wrong. <laughs> um, raised eyebrows. <laughs> raised eyebrows. I was at a conference in Ottawa and I was on Grinder, and I was chatting with this guy and it was a jam packed, one of those insane conferences where I was up at six every morning and I was in bed at like 11 every night and it was just intensely horrible and the accommodations were really terrible and no time. All the above. No time. So needless to say, I never met Patrick, but we flirted on Grinder, and, you know, chatted about if we were to get together some of the things that we might do but I definitely disclosed to him even though we weren't there was like no hope that we were going to meet and so he knew that I was HIV positive and at a certain point I exchanged my phone number with him because the wi-fi was terrible where we for whatever reason it was easier and um and then six months later I get a text from Patrick mm -hmm. and it's just it's just this string of texts about like how 
He's just been diagnosed with herpes. Mm. He wasn't sure what was wrong with him. He had all these things that were going on, and he finally went to the doctor. He's flooded with shame. Da, 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 and I would understand because I'm HIV positive. And he's not wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand what it feels like to be sort of marked and whatever, and, and the stigma and whatever. But I mean, he talked about suicide. He talked mm-hmm. about like all these insane things. No one's ever going to want to have sex with him again. Like yada, 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 yada. And um, I like counseled him. <laughs> it's one of the message? via text message. It's one of those like long after I'd left Ottawa. It was one of those moments where my status, like he could relate to me because I was also a dirty, impure, hmm. like, um, and I, I did a lot of kind of armchair, um, counseling and actually I had a grinder encounter really, really late one night I was on a bus and I think this trip I was coming from Montreal and I was bored on the bus. So I turned on Grindr and Grindr is the fine gay sex now app for listeners who don't know what it is. It's very fun. It's a location based app. And so I would be like, just like Tinder. Yeah. It's like Tinder, except it, it shows you people's like, it shows you, um, who's closest to you. And then as you update the people move right. because whereas Tinder is supposedly within a certain bracket. Yeah. So when you're on the bus, when you're on a train People are like, hey. And by the time you respond, they're already like 40 kilometers away because right. you've been zooming through their little town. Unless they're on the train with you. Yeah, possible, but rare. Right. So I was on the bus and this guy messaged me and he told me that he had just found out like that day that he was positive and he didn't know what to do about it. And um, Like as soon as he disclosed to you, he was like telling you the stuff. Yeah, he was on, so on Grindr, he didn't have a photo, so it was like this total anonymous, yada, yada, yada. So he just needed someone to talk to, and mm-hmm. I was so sick of being a social worker when I was just, like, trying to find sexy time and also disclose. Like, I just, I put on my profile that I was HIV positive, and I became a magnet. Oh. And so that night, on the bus, I think I received five text messages, or five, five Grindr messages from people that had specifically messaged me because of my status. Right. One was, fuck you, you fucking fuck. You're a stupid whore. Die in hell. One was, um, how did you get it? You don't have to tell me, I guess. Faggot. (laughs) Which is, uh, another one was, um, I'd have sex with you because no one wants to have sex with me wherever he was from. Right. So, like, you know... I'm sure you're desperate. I'm really desperate. That wasn't, that was a nice one. Another one was a guy who messaged me and said, I'm so lonely. You know, you must understand what it's like to feel lonely. And then I get a message from this guy. I think I'm beyond five now. I get a message from this guy saying, I found out today and I'm so, and I was so sick of it. And I said something like, you know what? I'm sure you're really going through a rough time right now. But I really, like, I was just on Grinder for fun. And I was hoping to, like, either have some sort of a fluffy conversation or maybe meet somebody. Um, and I can't talk to you about this right now. And he, like, all, this is all through text message. But he was like, well, you shouldn't have said that. We've met in person before. Now you'll never know who I am. You've ruined my life. He didn't say ruin life, but he said something like, you know, I can't believe you'd say this to somebody who's suffering. Like, don't you have any respect for me? And like all these things. And it was this horrible 
don't know where the story is going, but it, I mean, I became a lightning rod for people's shame and yeah. disgust. Mm-hmm. And, and like, they're, they're like therapists. Like they're like, or just wanting to know like their guide. Yeah. Like, you've done this. It's my I responsibility to, to like guide you through the weeds because but it's I not. had to do my own. <laughs> well, I had to do my own kind of searching, right? So I must be really, I must understand everything supremely. But it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty disgusting narrative when someone says, well, I mean, you're also broken. Yeah. That's not nice. No. Um, I mean, it plays into the shame and like lingering self-hatred that you, you know, that I have, I I have plenty of, I don't, I don't need more. No. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for that. And, you know, if we, if we're honest with ourselves, we all have it about something. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I could probably tell you all the reasons why you should have it. You know, like, for example. Blueberry pancake li- liquor? Is that what you're going to say? Well, I'm or not do you sure. something better than that? I'm not I... sure if you actually have left it here, in which case it's not my shame. Uh... Or if you're going to take it up with you and just drink yourself to sleep. What's tonight. less shameful? Because... That's what I should do, right? No, I won't leave you with it. I don't come to your house and leave garbage at your house. That's not my intention. I'll dump it out somewhere on the way. <laughs> Honestly, leave it in the snowbank. Someone will empty it yeah, and then get the five cents back. Outside. That's true. Fair yeah. enough. So, um, should we like formalize this? So we, I mean, I don't know. I feel like this is going to be a hard edit for you. Yeah, probably. But I mean, that's just what I deserve, right? Well, yes, you, you're a bad person. <laughs> and so you deserve yeah, for this, for this to not work out. Don't judge me. All the podcast people, they judge me anyway. Oh, Do they? Crap. Is there like, are podcasters mean to one another? I've actually never heard from other podcasters, but I'm sure there's like... <laughs> but let me just throw this out there, podcasters. You're assholes. All of you. You're mean and you don't like me. No. Good. But I feel like there's a... <laughs> you know, there's like ways that you do things. Like if you put on a dance show, this is what you do. This is the time it starts. This is the promotion Eight. that you do for Seven. it. Eight. Eight. And then like, you know, you print out these little like business card, but like po- postcards and you... Yeah. You put those in every studio that you can get to. Yeah. And you create a Facebook group and, um, you know, you do those things and then you have a dance show and there's supposed to be some at the box office and maybe there's beer and stuff and, like, that's the way you do a dance show and there's, like, no other way to do Blueberry it. Blueberry muffins, chihuahuas. Blueberry muffins. And I feel like there's probably a way to do a podcast and this is probably not the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people, like, clean their, their sound up and shit and I'm just like... Whatever. This is real time, baby. See, like when digital photography first started happening, because I'm old enough Mm. to remember what it was like to have a film camera, FYI, (sighs) Um, I remember thinking that anyone who retouched a digital photograph was lying. Right. I thought if it didn't come right out of the camera, because when I took photos with my 35 millimeter, Mm -hmm. Costco told me what the film looked like, and that was just the truth. So I'd get my pictures and I'd be like, oh, I failed again. But it was honest. And, you know, have you seen, like, no offense to the West End of Toronto, but let's just say West Enders, some of the ones, they're very trendy. Yeah. They buy disposable cameras and they get them printed because they're awful. Because you get the pictures back and you're like, ugh, fail. 
Um, and so, but there's an honesty about it and there's a nostalgia that's really cool. Yeah. And I was looking at this fancy digital camera yesterday and one of the things I loved about it is it has a fixed lens so you can't, it barely zooms at all, but it's got this really big sensor, which I mean, I'm just nerding out, but it, it basically takes these super high resolution photos, but you can't zoom. Right. And I thought, wow, like I can't lie. Like I can't, I have to just use what I have. Mm -hmm. And it was it's really exciting. Is it $4,000 exciting? No. <laughs> but it really was exciting. That's good. I like working I like working within certain confines, you know, and like deciding what you are going to do and how you're going to do it. Mhm. Mm and then being creative. Yeah, within, within those constraints. Like parameters, yeah. Right. And I feel like that's kind of like half of what this is or what any project is for anyone. You're like, "Okay, I have this amount of money or resources or access to people and things and so mm -hmm. I get to work within what I have to make something happen yeah which to me is what I think freelancing should be about like it should be about like dedicating time towards creating whatever it is that you would like to be more of your life about mm -hmm. and like a large portion of your time going towards that and that being a priority so and of course the thing is is that you're doing that on top of your your, your work that regular job yeah pays for your rent so it just makes your you know your days off very full but yeah just to circle back all the way to that mm -hmm. at the end of the day this episode is quite a bit different than the other podcasts that i've produced but in all honesty i'm pretty okay with that i feel like the amount of talking that Ryan and I did eventually led to a place where I definitely felt like I could be more honest and I think he did as well the ability to get to know someone who was a complete stranger in the matter of a couple hours is what this podcast is supposed to be about and comparing it to the conversation that you never heard I definitely think it's less formal in terms of the kind of facts that we talked about but I think that there was more experiential information in this podcast about Ryan and his life and his experiences, which are really immeasurable and something that I think so many people can relate to, whether you are gay, whether you are male, whether you are HIV positive. The kind of experiences that we talked about are human experiences. And I just want to thank Ryan talking to me twice and for being so gracious for the outro we're gonna keep going with our um, idea of being a little bit different than other episodes and I'm gonna play a little bit of audio where um, Brian picks the outro song and if you listen closely you can actually hear him sing along enjoy what's the most embarrassing song you have on your iPod Oh my god. Like my iPod? iPod, iPhone. Um, I'm only telling you because I'm confident I can beat it. Um, I have some really bad stuff by Sierra. Like, not old school good stuff, but new her newer stuff that's really bad. So I have. <laughs> I'm sure there's something worse, but uh, that's what's coming to mind right now. So I have Clay Aiken. Oh, wow, Clay Aiken. Yeah. He's like a senator or wants to be a senator or something now. Cool. Um, 
but he's singing a cover of a Dolly Parton song. Are you a Dolly fan? Yeah. Well, here you come again. <laughs> Not I paid money for that. <laughs> Is this another competition that you beat me at? <laughs> yeah, I can I can be the worst at anything. <laughs> In it, like at the same time being the most the best person or the most humble person? I'm I'm the most humblest in the world. Humblest in the world. Oh, 